reading, writing, and remote learning. It's a back-to-school unlike any other. Continued worries about coronavirus in the classroom is keeping lessons online for many students. But some South Florida private schools are opening their doors to younger students as frustrated parents rally to send their children back to public school in person. We want our kids back in the classroom. We think it's a right. Choice is a right. And we don't have that right at this particular moment in time. Here in Florida, some schools are placing students in quarantine just days after opening because the virus is spreading. Don't be cavalier about getting this virus. We'll look at the lessons that can be learned and what's on the minds of parents and teachers as we discuss this year's Back to School During the Coronavirus. All right, good evening and welcome to our virtual NBC6 Voices on our Facebook and YouTube pages. I'm Jawan Strader. First of all, please forgive us for the technical difficulties in the age of coronavirus and all of the, 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 the YouTube, the Skype and everything else. We had major technical difficulties, but thank you so much for tuning in and joining this all important conversation. Remember, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to share them and we will try to get to those questions. But thank you all who have decided to join us on this important conversation. Now, as you already know, today was the first day of school for students in Broward County. Classes resume in Miami on August 31st. Now, in both cases, the commute to school for most kids will be pretty short as classes will once again be virtual because of concerns over the coronavirus. Students are training in classrooms for computers at home, and that is a relief to some parents and a headache to many others. Check this out. A recent survey of Florida public school parents show significant concerns about sending children back into on-site classrooms. 77% feel that it is dangerous to send children to school at a time like this, while 55% say that it is very dangerous. Only 29% of parents believe that we should start in person in classroom school with social distancing in place. The survey was commissioned by the Florida Education Association, Florida's largest teachers union. Now we have a great panel joining us right now to discuss the benefits and drawbacks of virtual learning. So please welcome Sarasta Smith. She is a longtime language arts and television production teacher at Crop Senior High. And Dr. Katina Davis-Kennedy is a family nurse practitioner. And Lisa Lee Arnaud is a mother of three. Her oldest child begins on-site classes at UM this month. She's like family. That is my girl right there. Well, all of y'all are. All of you are. And what I love about the panel, we have nothing but women on this panel, pretty much, except for so welcome. Well, let's get this all important conversation started, everyone, because this has been an ongoing uh, discussion for quite some time uh, yeah. since we've been dealing with the COVID crisis and everything else. So, Lisa, because you are the parent on this panel who is dealing with this right now, I want to ask you, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, with your Otis and going to college. What has has it been like so far with the fact that she has to she is going to co college on campus? Mm -hmm. She's actually living on campus. She's at the University of Miami. And um, I was actually excited for her to go back. You know, we were very eager. We saw her struggle, um, you know, when they got sent home in the spring, right before spring break. And she had to take some very difficult classes like organic chemistry online and she was struggling because she's a great student but she missed the camaraderie of having 
her classmates there, having her teachers right in front of her to explain the information. They were running into technical difficulties every so often. And, um, you know, this time around when they had the option to go back to school, I, I was happy for her, you know? So I told her, just make sure that you're wearing your mask, you're being safe. I, I'm, I'm trusting the University of Miami to make the right decisions, to make sure that they are ensuring that the kids are socially distancing in the classrooms. So my daughter has the option to be in, to do in-class or to do virtual. So she's doing a mix of both. And I have to ask you though, because recently we got a report from UNC Chapel Hill, that's the University mm -hmm. of North Carolina. They are the first college to, to shut down, uh, several college campuses to shut down because of a COVID outbreak there that happened in several clusters. I'm sure you saw the news and then Notre Dame came out today. So I have to ask you, when you heard about that news, did you give it a second thought? Mm, I didn't um, because when we walked our daughter and, um, you know, one of her roommates, actually her job on campus is to ensure that everyone is wearing their mask and socially distancing. So I, I'm, you know, my daughter's now 19 and I can't make all the decisions for her. And when I read that and I saw that, I re I'm also realizing that this generation has to learn right now how to maneuver their way through life with COVID. And I'm hoping because University of Miami is, you know, a, a big medical school and they have a medical program that is amazing. They are a research school. I, I do know that they are on the front lines when it comes to trying to discover the vaccine. There's being a lot of research done. I'm trusting that the doctors that are involved, because we all know that the University of Miami Jackson Hospital, amazing um, hospital and healthcare professionals come out of that university. So I'm just trusting that they're helping to guide our kids that are there that this won't happen at the University of Miami. And if it does, I've read and I've heard from the president that there are procedures in place to help combat an outbreak. And, and, and one more question, and then we're going to, of course, get to our experts, which, you know, our teacher and our doctor who's on the panel. And she's smiling right now because she's hearing, <laughs> she's hearing you talk. She's smiling. So because you're talking about taking those safety precautions. But you do. You, you do have you, you have two younger kids. You have one that's uh, in the 11th grade, but mm -hmm. he is doing virtual learning. So I have to ask you it, it, now, is that by choice? And how difficult has that been on him to do virtual learning? Jawan, it's hard. You know, Tristan, uh, my son, he's a basketball player. He's an athlete. He's a boy. And um, and even me as a student, as a girl, I like to move. I like to talk. I like to interact with folks. And again, it's hard for him too. And I was prepared to send him to school. I don't feel as much for the children as I do for educators. I feel... Um, that we're putting our educators in a predicament in a situation that's making them feel more uncomfortable than the children. The kids want to go to school. And again, I feel that the kids need to learn um, you know, how to take proper precautions. And it's a part of them growing up, wash your hands, wear your mask, be responsible. But I was prepared to send my 11th grader to school if that were the case. Um, however, my third grader, I was not going to, and I have the option to send the third grader to class because he is at a private school and he has the opportunity to be with his teacher or learn virtually. We chose to allow him to learn virtually because he does have an underlying health condition. He has asthma. So for that one, we wanted to mm -hmm. keep him. That was by choice. 
So, you know, there's, there's no right answer in this. It's a tough decision all around. Everyone, whether you are sending your kid to school, that's a brave choice. Whether you decide to keep your child home, that's a brave choice. Um, uh, my heart goes out to our educators who um, are being forced into situations. And again, I'm thankful that they um, have the option of, of teaching virtually. And, um, you know, again, it's just all of us are going through this. We don't know the right answer. Amen. No, no. And that's true. You're talking about educators. So, Sarasta, let, let's get to you because you are an educator. How how tough is this on you, especially when it comes to starting the school year online? Well, actually, because we got a little taste of it in March, we're kind of getting we're acclimated to really using the remote device uh, devices to do our teaching. Um, this time it's going to be a little bit different that it was an extreme situation. It was an emergency situation in the spring. Now we're going through all sorts of professional development. We have a platform to be used by everyone across the district. Um, it's going to be accessible to parents, students. Um, everybody's going through the training. So it's going to be a little bit more structured and a little bit more organized. It's, it's never easy to try and have to get used to a new system, but I think it's, it's being done um, in a way and in a manner where the transition to remote learning with everything in place that we're used to, like discipline procedures, um, making sure the kids show up to class. Um, it's being done in a very structured manner now. So I think we're going to get over this hurdle and I think we're going to get used to it. Um, I didn't have a difficult time last spring, but I know a lot of the elementary education teachers had a very, very tough time Oof. because they're little kids. Yeah. Um, a lot of what we do in senior high is incorporating a lot of technology. So it, it wasn't that bad of a transition, I think, for the teachers that have the older kids. And then what about your fear as far as the coronavirus is concerned? We're talking about you educating online, but what about your fear uh, and, and the fact that you could actually get the virus? And, and if you look at uh, some stats that came out, more than 600 public school employees in Miami-Dade County tested positive for the coronavirus this year. So does that yeah. make you nervous? Oh, it makes me very nervous because I'm in the 55 and up crew. So it makes me very nervous. <laughs> um, but I think, and then you've got a lot of teachers with, of course, pre-existing conditions that it makes them very nervous as well. Um, the problem is when you're talking about inside these schools, you're talking about closed in situations. You're talking about buildings that don't always have what I call adequate or very good ventilation systems. Um, because of the situation we're in with the shootings that occur inside schools, we're, we're not allowed to really keep our doors open or windows open. So you've got that weighing on you as well. So when you look at what the um, scientists say, these droplets do hang in the air. And when you look at students and student behavior, young people don't think, take things as seriously as older people mm -hmm. do. So we know it's going to be a struggle to have kids stay in masks. Um, it's going to be a struggle to make sure the social distancing goes on. Um, and when you're talking about what goes on outside of classes, one of the reasons that the university had to shut down was because of all the party. Yep. Um, and these kids still party. Um, so it's it's I'm I'm hoping that 
when they do open the school back up, they do what other countries have done that, that has worked. They start out with the little students, the little kids first, um, as opposed to bringing everybody in at the same time. So we'll see. But yeah, we are all very afraid. You've had teachers that are actually doing their um, living wills now. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, Dr. Yeah. Katina, let's bring you into this conversation. Um, you you were smiling. You were listening to, to Lisa talk and, and talk about the safety procedures and precautions that she's taking as a parent, as a mother. I want to hear from you. What should parents be thinking about and what precautions should they be taking? Uh, definitely. Parents should be highly involved in, you know, just being prepared for it. I work, I actually work in the urgent care setting and I'm on the front line. So I'm doing COVID swabs every day, wow. um, seeing a lot of positive COVIDs. I'm seeing COVIDs that are positive for months and not just weeks. Uh, so, you know, just, just being prepared is important and, and educating yourself as well. So I'm really educating a lot of the parents um, with when I when the kids come in for their immunizations and their physical, they need to actually have a COVID prevention care kit now. Um, and that's something I kind of made up, but you know that's something that we have to have. You know we're used to these back to school supplies such as your your tape, your pencils, your scissors, and so forth. But um, it's a new normal now. We have to have that COVID prevention kit, and that includes like your disinfectant wipes, your extra mask for your kids, and then also your hand sanitizers as well. So that's something that the kids have to have as well. And um, just just making sure that the immune system is 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 strong. That's yeah. even just speaking from the, the kid to the to the adult. We have to make sure our immune system is is adequate to fight this virus because not everyone who gets the virus, you know, will be hospitalized. So you can get the mild uh, symptoms and you'll be okay. So what do you say? What, what do you suggest then? Vitamins? I mean, you said making sure your immune system is strong. You got it. So it's about getting adequate sleep. Um, that's important for Did our- Did you say sleep? Uh, yes. what, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> what is sleep? That's when your body rejuvenates a lot of people. And that's why I brought that up first, because a lot of people are not getting sleep. Four hours is not enough. You know, the research shows that you should get at least six eight hours. So six hours at the least, but you know, you want to aim eight hours. That makes it strong. Also, giving the kids and even yourself vitamin C, mm. um, vitamin C, taking your multivitamins, your zinc, exercising is so important. Drinking your water as well. Um, staying away from a lot of high sugar foods, a lot of high fat, fatty foods, you know, your fruits and vegetables. Those are the things that's going to boost those immune systems up. Now, before I get back to Lisa, I wanted to ask you about the teachers as well, though, because we're talking about the students, what parents should do. But what about teachers like Saresta when when, you know, the, the fear is there? You just heard her say that some teachers are making out their living will. So what should they do? Yeah, they should definitely do some of the things that I just mentioned. Make sure that they, they take their vitamins, get adequate sleep, um, make sure that they're being mentally prepared for it as well. And what I mean mentally, not being stressed out. If they are anxious, um, make sure that they seek a therapist and speak with someone. Make sure they partake in relaxation mm -hmm. 
activities as well, because during this back to school uh, time period, you know, anxiety runs high at this time. So anxiety, the stressors, those can also uh, decrease the immune system. So basically, you know, basically the same thing, exercise, less stress, um, being mentally stable, getting your sleep, eating healthy, and taking your supplements, your vitamin C and zinc. Very good point. And I know I need to practice that. I definitely need some more rest. My wife needs it more than I do, though. But, <laughs> but, but Lisa, let's get back to you and let's talk about just how tough this has been on your kids just mm. in general. How tough has it been on them? Because they're all different ages. Yeah, you know, well, my family is a family of athletes. My daughter is on the Sensation Dance team at the University of Miami. Um, she dances at all of the football games, the basketball games, and in between. Uh, my son in the 11th grade, he is a basketball player. We've played, he's played travel ball since he was in the third grade, and now he's in the 11th grade. So our our days, our, our nights, our summers were all about basketball. The one that's in third grade, same thing with him. He just started playing basketball. He was looking to join the travel ball league um, to play basketball. He runs track. You know, um, even my 11th grader, he had just made it into for the first time. He started to run track in his 10th grade year, and he was about to make it to regionals because he had won in the long jump, something he'd done just on a whim. And he was ready to go to regionals. And then before we knew it, like everything just shut down. So we didn't even get to see his potential with that, with athletics. And, you know, for him, getting recruited to go to college is important right now. And he wants to play basketball in college. And and not just him, but so many young children whose worlds revolve around sports they are missing out. And a lot of friends of mine, same thing, their family members um, play sports, whether it's soccer, basketball, football, and they're missing seasons. And, you know, this is really, I feel bad for the kids as adults. We can adjust. We know how to just adjust our sail with the wind. But for the kids, it's a lot harder because this has been their identity and their only identity. So I noticed in my home, their stress reliever is sports. And now they don't have that. So I noticed that my son is spending a lot more time playing games like Fortnite. My eight-year-old is now, he wants a Twitch account, which is where you start live streaming when you're playing the video games. I can't get him off the video games, but I don't know what else to let him do. We do go outside to ride our bikes. We swim in the pool, but there's just not that same stimulation and interaction with others. And that has been really hard. Academically, they're okay. And I'm not concerned with them academically. They're going to be fine. It's just that interaction with others that I'm worried about. Mm, mm. And Sarasta, you hear that from a parent. And yeah. you're you're a teacher and they're like they're all like your students are typically like your kids yourself. So but you hearing hearing this from Lisa, um, you know, the challenges of being a teacher trying to get past some of those obstacles that she just talked about. They are there. It's very challenging and you feel badly that students aren't able to participate right now. Um, on athletic teams, you know, um, my uh, daughter's father is a coach. And but the coaches have a lot of concerns too. Um, yeah. They're concerned about. I've, I'm the union steward at my particular school, and I had coaches calling me over the summer saying, "We really don't want to be practicing with these kids. Wow. We really don't want to be around these." 
because, you know, the coaches, they're not uh, spring chickens either, uh, a lot of them. And yeah. so there's that concern. But you see the kids suffer going without all these physical activities. It's, yeah. it's you know, and to watch kids, particularly those that are, are in their senior year, not be able to take advantage of the activities they typically have. Um, we are going to start still offer club club activities, but realistically, it's going to have to be all remote and online. But the social dynamics are, 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 are what's the most saddening and maddling and terrible thing about this whole COVID pandemic is that the social interaction has been just like mm. cut. Um, and I've had students tell me this was last March towards the end of the school year. Actually, it was May where, you know, when I've asked them, are you guys getting out at all? Are you doing anything? And they're like scared to death. They said, I can't, I, my, I can't take the thought of bringing something back into my home that's going to harm my parents. Yeah. So a lot of them are, are dealing with parents that are 50 and up. Um, and they're afraid that they're going to cause their parents to get sick and suffer. And, and quite honestly, um, this has happened. I know parents that have gotten sick because a family member has brought it into the home and, and some of them have been hospitalized. It hasn't always been the little lightweight symptoms. I know quite a few just in my own sphere that ended up hospitalized as a result of one family member bringing it into the home. So the kids deal with that extra burden of guilt or fear that they're going to harm their parent or a grandparent. So it's, it's, it's not easy on the kids at all. I, you know, you hate to see them have to go through this in their generation. Um, and God forbid they ever have to go through this again um, during their lifetimes, but it, it is sad. It's, it's, I can understand the parent frustration totally. And, and Dr. Katina, so you, you hear that. And then also you hear that even some kids may have to deal with depression. Uh, they may deal with that. I, I know my son, he, you know, he, he being home dealing with COVID um, is not fun, you know, and, and I know that he, he can't stand it and he has gotten down a little bit. And so this is a challenge with not only parents, but teachers as well, because this is something that they're faced with and then trying to, you know, uh, trying to treat at the same time. And I know you're not a psychologist, so I know you can't really answer that from a depression standpoint, but from what you've seen though, um, and, and advice that you may have just based upon your experience, what can you tell us? Yeah, so actually, you know, just working in the gynecology and primary care setting as well, um, a lot of my patient ha has been coming in for depression. I do treat depression and anxiety, actually. Um, however, you know, what I, what I really emphasize to the parents is let's get some type of structure for the kids. You know, over the summer, you know, we were quarantining. A lot of things were closed. However, now we can open things back up like the park is open. So, you know, they can go ahead and go to the park, go for some walks, runs as well. That way you get the, the endorphins increased in the body and you feel a little bit more energetic. Yeah. Also, you know, you want to mentally uh, stimulate your brain. So encourage the kids to, you know, come together, play family, have family time, you know, have board games 
or play cards, spades, tunk, you know. You know, just just to interact with each other, work yeah. puzzles. Um, um, also, I've actually um, my son, he's actually 14, a freshman in high school. So he had to start his high school year. Um virtually. Uh, so he's a little bit down about that, but him and his friends, they've been having like Zoom parties where they just basically get online and they socialize with each other. That helps as well because that lack of socialization, you know, can really impact them mentally. So just going out, being active now they can in the park, of course, social distancing, of course, wearing your mask, um, and then family time, mentally stimulating those those brain with different games. And then now they're in school, so they'll be a little bit more busier now. Yeah, that's right. No, no, that's a very, really good point. And and and, and Lisa, um, this thing has been politicized. You're a, you're a parent, so um, at the end of the day, you have to look out for your kids. Mm-hmm. And but you and as a parent, do you listen to all the the talk out there from you know different sides, or do you follow the science? What is as a parent? What do you do? Oh, good question. So I have a cousin who works for the U.S. Health Department, and she's actually a part of the first team that went to Japan to treat the Americans who um, were the first set to um, to get COVID on the Princess Cruise. And she's in D.C. and she's in. Um, meetings with Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. So I call her to get the intel. I do not listen to the news. Um, I have a sister who's a nurse manager at Memorial West. I have friends and families who are on the front line. Um, My best friend is a nurse practitioner. I call her for information, but for the most part, I want to hear from people who are on the front lines, who are dealing with this. Also, Dr. Eileen Marty, who is well known down here, and she was on the front lines fighting Ebola. Um, I know her family very well, so I'm friends with her on Facebook, and she's been putting out really good information. I trust her information that she. Florida International University as well, right? Yes, yes, my alma mater. Yes, amazing, and she's an um, infectious disease um, specialist, and she's out there, and she knows her stuff. So, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, um, I like to go to sources that I can trust because um, that's what I feel. I feel comfortable that way. So I did speak with my cousin who, again, who's in DC, who works for the U.S. Health Department. And um, she was the assistant to the U.S. Surgeon General most previously. And so she's very knowledgeable. I've even asked her about the vaccine and we've talked and we've been talking since February regularly and that's who I go to between my family members who are in the field, medical field. Um, and like I said, Dr. Eileen Marty, who's amazing. Um, that's where I go for my information. So sorry, Joanna, I'm not coming to um, NBC. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, hey, it's, it's all good. But, you know, uh, that brings up a good point, though, because, Saresta, I'm sure the teachers, you guys were kind of put in the middle of this thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and 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 I saw both sides. It's like the teachers almost. You guys were almost split. There were some teachers that were for and some against. And then, oh, so yeah. how tough has that been? Well, it's you know I think when um, I think it got real when the infection rates went up around what was it thirty something percent. I think it started getting very real when people started seeing the hospitalization rates. Um, they started seeing the infected kids 
that were um, getting sick with the related uh, illness that they are getting. So those that you've got those that are really pushing to get their kids back in school. But I think a lot of those are those that haven't been touched by it. The ones that are more, um, I think, hesitant about sending kids are the families and the people that have been touched by it, who have seen people suffer, um, who know people that have the illness, who they know people that have the residual um, effects post illness or, or positive infection. Um, so I think what, what alarms me is that um, those that are pushing to get these kids back into the buildings are not facing the reality that we have to get those community rates down before we can do anything like get kids back in school in, in the large numbers. Because when we left school, the infection rate was very low. Um, and now it's back down to around 9%. But we see the schools that are sending kids back with the infection rates that are, are um, over five and less than 10, they're having problems. It's becoming very problematic and they're having to shut down schools left and right. So it's, it's, you have teachers and I know in my world, it is mostly the elementary education teachers that, that really struggle and really want to get back in that classroom. Um, and I can sympathize with them. I can understand that when you look at the little ones, they, they really need. Yeah. 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 Very, they very really important, very important age. And very Dr. Important. Dr. Katina, um, so you're, you're, you're hearing from, from, from Lisa, you're hearing from Saresta, as far as information is concerned, you're on the front lines. Yeah. So aside from politics, your advice for those who are seeking that information. This is going to be the new normal. And I know you all have heard this. Um, this is going to be the new normal. This, this reminds us of, and the experts and the doctors of when the influenza first came out. When influenza initially came out, it was not understood. Everybody was scared. A lot of people was dying. Guess what? An influenza is still here today. It's still killing a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. However, they have the vaccine. Right. This is the coronavirus, the COVID-19, another strand of the coronavirus. It's going to be the same thing. So until they get those vaccines out, um, virtual, virtually, it may be the way to go. Uh, mm -hmm. You're going to have to continue to social distance. You're going to continue to, you know, wear your mask and just implement those safety measures that we've been talking about throughout the entire program. But it is here to stay. And we're just going to have to get adjusted to, you know, this this new virus that's that's here. But, you know, like I said, just boosting that immune system up. Remember to take care of you first. I always tell people you can't carry out your purpose or passion in life without care of you. So you have to make sure you implement those measures that's going to boost that immune system so that if you are stricken with it, then you'll be able to, you know, fight it. Amen. Amen. And you know what? We want to leave folks out there who are watching this right now. We want to make sure that you have resources. We always want to provide these resources if you have any questions. And uh, these resources and information you can always go to. So from the latest on coronavirus cases in your neighborhood to testing sites and even unemployment and rental assistance. We all even need to hear about it. Just be sure to head on over to the NBC6.com forward slash coronavirus for all of your information. You see it right there. NBC6.com slash coronavirus for any information in regards to the coronavirus 
that you may need. And I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank uh, Dr. Katina, Saresta, Lisa Lee. I want to thank all of you guys for joining me for this all-important conversation. And I wish you nothing but the best as we continue to deal with this crisis. And I want to thank all of you out there who decided to join in. And again, please forgive me for our technical issues that we have. That is what we're dealing with right about now in this day and age. Remember, you can follow me on Juwan NBC6 on Facebook, as well as on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation. Be sure to tune in tonight at 11 o'clock. Have a great night.